Coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. A conversation about the great and sometimes not so great outdoors. I'm your host, Lynn Melling. And I'm Jody Gruen. And we do this for fun. Hi, it's Jody. And it's Lynn. And we are talking about one of my favorite topics of all time today, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, BWCAW, BWCA for short. Use it however you'd like. Um, but with us, our guest is an expert in this area. Uh, Matthew Baxley is the co-host of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast in Grand Marais. People, we have a podcast celebrity with Star. us. Yeah. I am obsessed with Grand Marais. And every time we come over that hill and I see WTIP FM, I just, I get the vapors. Um, <laughs> so Matthew is, has been all over the boundary waters. We're so excited to talk to them about everything they know and love about the boundary waters. Matthew, welcome to, we do this for fun. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Sorry, was that too much? I'm I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. I just she, I get she a little... gushes. She gushes a lot when you say the word Grand Marais. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, it's I, so I, good to be reminded that the per place I live is so beloved. It oh is. Oh my gosh! It's how long have you lived there? Seven years. Seven years. And did you move there because of the proximity to the Boundary Waters, or did you discover the Boundary Waters after you moved there? Both and. Okay. Yeah, definitely left Minneapolis for the North Woods, uh, but I had actually never been into the Boundary Waters uh, before moving up there. And mm. so that was, but I had spent a lot of time on the Spear Hiking Trail, which I know that you both know and love. So it was this sort of expanding of my relationship with place in a way that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. wow. so, so have you, you become very active then? on the water? Yeah. I mean, I grew up paddling, um, in Wisconsin, so it wasn't a big, like a, I wasn't, um, completely foreign to canoe travel on rivers, but the, as you both know, the experience of that place specifically just captivated me. And I remember those first trips still so vividly, even though I've I've been on countless trips since then. Those first trips still uh, have such a, a vivid place in my memory. What What is vivid about it? What is it like when you close your eyes that just sticks out to you? What is it that sticks in your memory? It's such a good question. The things that come to my mind are, and this was on the western end of the Boundary Waters, so uh, off the Gunflint Trail, and the topography is something that sticks up out in my mind that there there's a lot of topography surrounding the lake so you have the cliffs and the ridges that are just covered in these the sporeal forest these ancient white pines and spruce and then of course the birch and just feeling the immense size of it and experiencing my like getting to know my place in that um, was really humbling and exciting. I mean, I remember like learning how to navigate with the maps and those first few trips realizing that my sense of scale 
was mm, so yeah. inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. And so I think just really the forest and the water and the water, especially, I mean, the water is so clean and clear. And so you put all those things together, the topography, yeah. the boreal forest. And, and the, the smell, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. The smell, I can like smell it in my head and it just, <laughs> it's just this sweet smell of the combination of the trees there and the water. And, and I feel like I do accidental meditative deep breathing when I'm in the boundary waters, because I'm just constantly trying to smell it. I can't smell it enough. And then I realize, oh, I'm doing box breathing. (laughs) No wonder I feel so calm. (laughs) Straight out of the therapy playbook. That's right. (laughs) There is a thing called nature therapy, Lynn. Mm -hmm. I believe firmly in it. Yep. So I have a question. If we could just like backtrack a little bit. And I'm wondering if you could explain to us what the Boundary Waters is, um, how many lakes there are. I mean, what, you know, like for people who haven't been there, like, what do you expect? Like, what's the experience like? But, you know, starting with what is the Boundary Waters? Wonderful. That's such a good question. It is over a million acres of designated wilderness, which means that is an area of land that's federally protected and uh, its use is regulated. And so um, it is essentially a protected portion of it. And it's technically in the state of Minnesota, but it's federal land. So it's really not even part of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and the land itself uh since we're talking about it as land is really as much water as it is land. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at an aerial view of the boundary waters, you see uh, as much blue as you do green. Hmm. And so the travel in this area, although there are backpacking trails that traverse much of that wilderness area, the primary mode of travel is on the lakes is on the water, whether that's winter or summer. And so instead of, being on a packed trail, most of the travel is done in through water trails that you that you paddle or ski or whatever through the lakes. And then you take little portage trails, an actual packed trail between those lakes, simply to get back onto the next and continue on your travel. And it has designated campsites. So you, you get you can stay out there really as long as as you want you as long as you're willing to go out and stay you can and there's no motors so it is all human powered travel in this protected wilderness area that's over a million acres oh and it's so quiet mm-hmm. it's a million million acres over a million oh my gosh how do you know how many lakes there are as part of the boundary waters no i have no idea <laughs> lots a lot. so, yeah yeah and they range in size from very small to really large. Exactly. You can, uh, in any given trip, and I think back to numerous trips where you, you may spend five minutes crossing a lake to get to the next portage, or you could spend five hours crossing the really large lakes. And some folks go on trips that never leave a lake because mm. they're so large. Mm. So there's lots of different ways to do it, but there's very, you know, the, the history of the land is so interesting. You think about that there were glaciers covering this area and as they receded and melted, the water just filled in all the low spots 
basically filled in all the holes at, huh. of which there are many. So it's just this. Interesting. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the um, challenges? So when you were talking about big open lakes, um, I had a flashback to last summer when we were up there and it was so windy the whole freaking week we were there. It was so windy. Like, can you talk about some, because I think a lot of people have in their head that it's this, which it is, it's this, I, it's a beautiful spot, but it doesn't come without some blood, sweat and tears. So maybe could you like level it a little bit for people just, you know, to mentally prepare someone who maybe has never been up there. Like, what are you, what are you facing? Such a great question. I think if we're approaching this, it sounds like we're approaching this from the realm of canoe camping. Yes. So kind of uh, non-frozen, correct? <laughs> correct. Okay. Correct. In the summertime, yes. Yeah. So I think there's so many challenges associated with canoe travel and canoe camping that I think you just, you alluded to one of the big ones, which is wind. Um, and I think learn, you know, learning to travel in a canoe, there's a whole skill set to that. Um, that there's a huge learning curve too. So um, how to pack your canoe, how to navigate your canoe. Um, and wind is a big one, a big um, factor that does lead to a lot of dangerous situations. Um, you can capsize out on open water. Um, you can get pinned down at a campsite and not able to leave for multiple days. I, I Did that happen to you on your trip? Kind of, yes. Yeah. <laughs> With so, two kids. <laughs> exactly. So, right? Two kids at a campsite, you don't have anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. I imagine that had some challenges. Uh, yes. <laughs> there was there was some, only a few tears. <laughs> so, yeah. Some yelling, some screaming. <laughs> totally. And I, I've shed those tears myself. <laughs> <laughs> It can be uh, almost a little claustrophobic at times because it's not mm -hmm. like there's a, you know, you're in a wilderness area and the, you know, the furthest uh, trail from your campsite takes you to the latrine. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as it goes. <laughs> so it's not like you can go explore. You can really explore, but you have, I mean, you have to also know what you're doing. Um, so that gets into some of the other elements of challenge, which I think is navigation um learning to navigate this network of lakes and land with a map and ideally a compass um is a learning curve too so you have navigation you have the skills to paddle a canoe um, you have elements like wind and i think it's not really a safety concern but certainly a comfort concern depending on the time of year is the bugs oh i was just gonna say the mosquitoes Mosquitoes, black flies. And they are uh, bad this year from what I hear. Yeah, we did have uh, an, uh, it is, uh, I'd say, especially talking to some of the long-term residents that it is like one of the worst mm -hmm. in memory because we had such a great winter and such a late spring and so much water and those bugs just thrive. Mm. So, so all the benefits that we felt from this great weather up until this point, give us something else to deal with. The bugs like it too. Yeah, they do. And the bugs don't have to ruin a trip, just like the wind doesn't have to ruin a trip, just like the weather doesn't have to ruin a trip. But I think it makes 
thinking about and planning an enjoyable trip so much more important and um, and that is the the preparation having the right gear having the right plan b or plan c mm-hmm. those things are so important to be able to enjoy whatever comes your way yeah so how can you be a good like be well prepared you know and and i assume with bugs and you know bugs we are going to use chemicals on our bodies. You know, we're going to be using a lot of extra like clothing and layers and things like that. But how can we, and then of course, you know, there's the things that we bring in. Um, how can we can do and have these experiences and still be a good steward of the boundary waters and the environment? That is, yeah, that's a great point. And we should trace in case people haven't heard of that yet. Yeah. Do you want to give a quick overview of that? Matthew, would you like to? <laughs> sure, I can. I can give you my my take on it. Okay. You know. Sorry, Tony, to hijack your question. Oh no, that's fine. Yeah. So, leave no trace. LNT, um, for short, uh, is basically a uh, concept with principles and practices that don't actually eliminate our impact on the on the land and water, but helps to mitigate um, our impact on the land and water. So anybody who's going to be getting a permit to go overnight into the wilderness, which you do need for the spring, summer and portions of the fall, uh, have all of those leave no trace principles and the Forest Service expects you to follow them. Um, we could do a whole podcast on leave no trace. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the fundamental component that folks need to know about Leave No Trace is it's about respecting the land and water and your place in it. Like you are, as much as we, our safety is our first concern, our impact is actually, our, I think, the next concern to think about. We are visitors into this space, so everything we do has the potential to leave either a very minimal short-term impact or a very long-lasting impact. And so um, basically understanding your place and your role in the, in that environment is if you can keep that in perspective, then you're going, you're going to have a good relationship with the place. Yeah. And so now back to Jody's question about how, yeah, how can we, <laughs> like, what are the, your thoughts, tips, tricks? How do you do that? Yeah. Like with all the things that you have to bring with you? Yeah. You know, it can be really simple. Um, you, if you can be okay with not needing much, you don't need much. Hmm. Um, so for example, uh, I usually bring one or two changes of not one pair of clothes, but like so the clothes that I'm wearing, and then a couple of other changes of clothes um, that uh, in case I were to get wet, so I have a dry pair, in case there could be cold weather, I have, you know, so an alternative, but I don't bring, you know, it's not like, it, it's not like you need to bring a fresh change of clothes every day. Right. And if your clothes are stinky, it's not like you can't go to the lake and rinse them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think simplicity is key. So I bring a, you know, some clothes, a few changes of clothes for different weather or different situations, always, especially, you know, the environment is prone to rain 
and that can be a brief thunderstorm or it can be days and days of rain. So having good solid um, weather gear, range, you know, spend the money on a good rain jacket and rain pants even. Um, if you want to spend a week in the boundary waters and you get rain for three days, you're going to be so happy <laughs> that you spent extra money on that. Yeah. Um, and I think having a good, having a good tent, you don't have to have the most expensive tent, but having a lighter tent that you know how to set up going into your trip and is going to hold up to wind and rain and is waterproof. Um, that's going to, you know, that's that whole idea of staying warm and dry is, you know, when are you happy? You're happy when you're warm and dry. You're not happy mm -hmm. when you're cold and wet, uh, unless you want to be wet. Um, that though, just having the right clothes, you know, I always keep it. This is something simple, but I always keep a warm pair of wool socks in my sleeping bag. Mm. That way, no matter what happens during the day, I take off whatever socks I had on and I slip on that, uh, dry. God, that's a really good idea. It's so good. It's such a good idea. I've never thought of that. Yeah. It, I don't know. I, I didn't think of it either. I'm sure I did <laughs> from somebody. Uh, but it's it's lovely, you know. I always I do sleep. I have clothes that I sleep in because inevitably you get sweaty and whatever mm -hmm. you're wearing. So I do bring like uh depending on the, the weather. But for most of the time I'm out there, I'm putting on fleece pants and um a comfy um hoodie or some or a fleece to sleep because it's really only hot in the boundary waters like july and august so if you're going any other time of the year you can have snow or freezing temps or at least something close to that um that if you're ready for it it actually just is an awesome experience because it means no bugs yeah true no bugs okay i have a question again around apparel footwear so i have when we went last year my husband was telling me that i needed certain particular shoes for the boundary waters um i was like i don't need to spend the money but well, i spent a little money and i ended up finding like a actually just like a cheap pair of astrals um and then he bought these like big fancy boots are those required i mean and then we wore wool socks through the entire trip which i also didn't know that you did that um because the last time i did it i don't think i wore wool socks but is that important? I mean, how important is footwear? I think it's very important. Okay. I mean, and so I would ask, like, what was your conclusion? Uh, that I needed that footwear. It was helpful to have. Yes. And the socks. I thought, it, you know, I was like, oh, it doesn't feel good to have wet socks on, you know, whatever, but they do dry out um, when they're wool socks. So I hate that. There's, whole, yeah, there's this whole that, level of things that people who have been doing this for a long time know mm -hmm. that they need to like, just like the socks in the sleeping bag. There's a lot of that wisdom that yeah. doesn't come naturally. Well, uh, the first time I heard the term wet footing, I just... I, it really grossed me out, but you have to, I mean, when you're hopping in and out of canoes, you got to put your whole foot with the boot and the sock into the water. That's something I just did not consider when we, the first time we went there. And then I realized, oh, you mean I have to actually get my feet wet with my shoes on? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for, I'm glad you mentioned that because otherwise I would have too. That is I think a, a very strange concept to anybody who's going in for the first time, but yeah. So yes, yeah, so that with that idea of your feet have to get wet. And so what what are you going to be most comfortable 
being in with wet feet. I know some people who wear will wear chacos mm -hmm. or something like that for their whole trip. I like having protection over my toes, right? Because mm -hmm. I, you know, if you slide on a rock and smash your toes, oh, it's not fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so I like having closed toed shoes. Like a I have a tennis shoe that I tend to wear that's my water shoe. And that, and I don't wear, I actually don't wear socks because my feet run pretty warm. Mm -hmm. Um and that well, all of that can work for most of the months, either a, a sandal, obviously with straps, not a flip-flop. Um a closed toed shoe or a waterproof boot, like a rubber waterproof boot. I know I have, you know, Joe, who I do the podcast with, that's his go-to and he's done that for years and he's super happy with it. Um, and so it may be different depending on who you are and how you're comfortable. Um, but know that you have to be okay with either dry feet or wet, wet feet, feet. And uh -huh. <laughs> to keep your feet the way you need them, knowing that your feet are going to go into the water. Oh, I just hate that so much. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't get over it. Mm. I, oh, I just, that when, and then when they're pruny and sweaty <laughs> at the end of the day and, oh, you just take your sock off and it's so gross, but it feels so good to take your sock off. So the, I mean, Can Oh, can I tell you one thing I hate? Um, and it rela it relates to wet footing, but completely different. And it's more around, so some words, like I, I didn't know wet footing, Lynn. So thank you for sharing that with me. But a word that I learned in the Boundary Waters last time was muskeg. And I don't like muskeg. <laughs> in fact, I hate it. Like it, it real like it just sucked, sucked me and my little child down into the earth. And I'm wondering if there are, one, we could probably talk a little bit about that and why it exists. Um, but also, are there other words that are very more specific to a Boundary Waters experience? Like there's wet footing, muskeg, and maybe I don't know anymore. Um, that, I don't know, would be something like, Port would Portaging. be great Boundary, boundary Waters yeah. trivia questions. That is such a good, you know, and that's that's the curse of being immersed in that world is you forget that things aren't and i think portaging is a great mm -hmm. example of that um uh, i'm trying to think of other ones do lynn do you want to describe portaging you brought that up sure yeah so portaging is where you have to put the canoe on your head which um i don't particularly enjoy doing at all but you have to see so canoe canoe you get to the end of the lake you get out put your feet in the water Get out, take your, put your backpack on your back, put your canoe on your head, and then or your shoulders. Walk. Shoulders. Thank you for Claire. Yes. <laughs> and then you walk, hike, sometimes stumble your way because mm -hmm. these trails can be wet. They can be rooty. They can be straight uphill. They can be rocky. It's not just like a little walk in the woods. It's a sometimes a really stressful, sometimes five. I mean, sometimes just five yards, 10 yards, sometimes 500 yards, sometimes a mile that you're carrying all this stuff to the next lake. So then you can put your canoe back in the lake and then off to the next campsite or the next portage. But um, I don't know why they call it portaging. And that's, I guess, a unique term for this type of activity. It is a French word. So portage. Oh, uh, and I think... Um, it's my understanding that it comes from the Voyager history. Oh, okay. Um, and so that has carried over. Interesting. Um, just like we measure the portage or the portage in rods. 
Oh, um, there we trivia. Yep, there we that go. That comes from the, uh, I believe, sort of the French, French British colonial um, origins of the travel through the mm-hmm. through that landscape. Right. So you don't measure it in yards or miles; it's in rods. And what's yeah. a rod? Oh, I always have to look it up. Uh, <laughs> and if one of you wants to Google it, I don't. I don't. Uh, I think I've, oh, I've about like heard, 15 feet, I think. I think so. I think it's about the length of a canoe. Canoe? Roughly, yeah. Is one rod. I think. Yeah. Something like that. I actually spent a trip um, trying to figure out how many steps equal a rod. Oh. And uh, that's how I, because I, you know, I love being battle rest. I hate portaging. <laughs> um, Thank you for know. saying that. I do too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anybody who enjoys, I mean, there's enjoyable elements to it for sure. I love the weight and I love the feeling grounded into my body, but I love that for like five minutes. Yes. You know? Yes. And then the rest of the time I'm like, don't think about the pain. <laughs> totally. That is how you feel. It's like, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this particular trip, I was, um, like I knew how many rods every portage was. So I would like, I'd say, okay, I'm going to count, you know, eight steps and then reset every time and see if that's the number of rods the portage is. And I experimented with it and I figured out it was about between seven and eight steps per rod. So I could actually mm-hmm. measure how far I was into the portage. I was like, okay, I'm, this is a 89 rod portage and I've counted seven steps, 63 times. So I'm like wow. almost to the end. Huh. And that's the kind of weird stuff of that your head does. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it, it's true. You're just trying to like get through yeah. like one foot in front of the other and anything to take your mind off of it. Yes. Off the pain. I like that idea. Yeah. And there are easier ways to do it, right? I don't want, it doesn't have to be a painful process. Some people who are diehard, they want to carry everything and do so single portaging. That's another one of those terms. So the single portage means you're going to carry all your stuff, your pack, your paddles, your canoe, and you're going to get across the portage in one push because you're ready to get going. But, you know, especially when I've gone out with families, with young kids, um, you know, however many portages it takes to just get, do it comfortably and successfully. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's two trips. Sometimes it's three trips. Sometimes it's a trip with a long break in the middle so the kids can play with the sticks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good, that's a great, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great tip. Um, so speaking of tips, so it's now going to, so we're recording this in June, but we're posting this in July, mid-July. So that we're halfway through the summer, which is kind of late to be starting to plan a Boundary Waters trip for this summer. But what, if people are listening and they're like, oh, I want to, I want to get up there still this summer, or can you just talk about the logistics, is it still possible? And then maybe some other options. I mean, because I know permits, you have to get those early. So if there's no permits left for the place you want to put in at, um, just kind of talk us through that person who's listening, who's like, I want to, I want to do this right now. What can you tell them? Yeah. Great question. So first step is the permit process. You go to recreation.gov, type in boundary Rouge canary wilderness, and then you can see permits that are available. We didn't really cover this, but the Boundary Waters is broken down into designated entry points. So you book a permit for a specific entry point, and that's how they sort of manage the flow of people through the wilderness and to ideally preserve some of the solitude. And so you need to 
find an available permit um, and book it. And I would recommend doing your research on the entry point. You know, some entry points start with a mile long portage uh, into the first lake. If that's going to shut your trip down real fast, <laughs> you know, don't go. Don't book, don't book that permit. Look for a different one or a different date. Um, but the reality is um, a lot of there's a lot of diehards who go in as soon as permitting starts and they book a bunch and then they start to cancel. Um, oh. So there are permits that pop up all the time. Oh, that's great to know. Ah. Yep. So if you if you I would say if you're start thinking about a trip, start to first familiarize yourself with the permitting process and the different entry points. And if you need to want to learn something about an entry point, you can Google it. There's just like everything on the internet, tons of info. Um, and then I think if once you do that, if you've never traveled in this terrain before, if you've never canoed before, um, start to research that process. Start to talk to outfitters if you need to get gear for your trip. Outfitters, that's the great thing about outfitters, especially in this part of the state is their whole job is to help you have a successful mm -hmm. trip. They yeah. want your business and they want you to come back and they love the place and they will answer all of your questions. That's a great point. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And then and also, so it's been so summer. So if the clock is running out though, for people, so summer, I mean, Boundary Waters camping doesn't end when summer ends. So, no. you know, maybe some tips on looking into the fall and even winter, which I tried once and, um, I will do again. Yes. Not maybe not very soon. <laughs> and so let's when we get to the winter, I'd love for you to share your experience. Oh, um, Matthew, that's a whole other podcast, dude. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I'm happy to give you the clips notes. <laughs> and I'm happy to do a winter camping episode. Oh, that would be amazing. We might have to have you back yeah, to talk about that. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm passionate about it. And I think you're anyways, I won't go. I'll, I'll actually I'd have to have Ian on with me to talk about it because he loved every second. So um, we might need to, maybe we'll, yeah, we'll do, we'll do a, a part two of this for sure. Sure. Well, um, Lynn, when I think about what you said, uh, this is how I, this is what comes to my mind. So if you're going to go before school starts um, and if you're doing that because you have kids that you're going to encounter bugs and that's the, the warmth means bugs. The warmth also means swimming um but i think being prepared for the bugs is one of the most important things so you know a good healthy safe um bug repellent i use picardin it's from a plant derivative uh so you're getting away from deet uh look that up um but head nets no shame in wearing a head net no shame in wearing a, a bug jacket um, and i take uh what's called a bug out and it's basically a tarp with bug net mesh netting that goes all the way down to the ground so you can be at camp you're covered if it rains you're protected from the bugs and you can sit around and do that and that's one of those things that i bought early on and i've never regretted and you can rent those from outfitters too so is that an individual thing that you just put around yourself and so you and your camping companions would all be like around the fire in your little yep like screened in bug protection exactly huh. okay. yes huh. and they're and they make them pretty large so i've uh sat in one with you know six six seven people before oh, comfortably okay. um and you can yeah and careful about stringing them up over a fire that does work <laughs> but you want to make sure you do it right 
Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so then, so that's, you know, pre Labor Day. Um, and, but the great thing about going in after Labor Day, if especially if you're, you're wanting a trip without your kids or anybody else's kids around, is that that's when you see a lot of the um, individuals going on solo trips, couples, um, folks that um, are looking for a little bit different experience. The best part about September is that you throughout September, the bugs go away. Mm -hmm. um, and you get colder temps, which can be hard for some folks, but that's my favorite time to be in the boundary mm -hmm. waters. Um, and so you just want to make sure that you're not basing your packing list off of the weather where you're at. You want to look at the weather for the region. Yeah. Because I've been out in September, uh, early October, especially where I've gotten snowed on and woke up to 32 degree temps. Um, but it is a beautiful time to be out there. Yeah, yeah it over. is. And the, you know, those colors and the wildlife. And yeah, it's, it is a beautiful Beautiful it's amazing time. to wake up in a tent, going to bed, and then waking up with snow all around you. It's just like to know that you slept through it and maybe didn't even know it was happening. And all of a sudden, the landscape has just shifted around you. It's so magical. Jody, it sounds like you've experienced that. Mm -hmm. uh, did, I, I'll relate to that. I also relate to a little bit of like, <gasps> like a little bit of terror mixed <laughs> in with the awe and wonder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, That's usually me freaking out. Yeah. I just think it just creates such amazing memories, you know, to say and to know like, oh, I did this. You, you know, it, you were expecting one thing and then you quickly shift and are able to do something else. And you just really prove to yourself that you are very resilient and um, and you that you can do anything. Mm -hmm. Ugh. I love that. That's the best part of all of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, how how many memories do you have? with that feeling associated with the, with the place that is the boundary waters. I have only those feelings, you know, I mean, you mm -hmm. leave and you go, wow, that was really hard. And you're like, I just want to go get some good food and I want to, you know, whatever. But then as the day progresses, you're kind of missing it. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, should we go back? It's when are we going back? You know, I mean, it's, that's always the question because the experience, no matter how challenging it was um, in, physically or mentally emotionally whatever there was still all of those gems that made it just worth it uh i think that is so <laughs> matthew we could talk to you all day but i want to respect oh, yeah. your time and i feel like that is just such a perfect way to kind of wrap up our conversation even though i don't want it to end and there will be a part two but before or we do five or five. Yes. Yeah. But Matthew before, so tell people, where can people hear your podcast? Where can they see your, you do some beautiful videos up in the boundary waters. Where can people find you so they can hear more of you talking about the boundary waters? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, the podcast, the WTIP boundary waters podcast can be found pretty much wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, um, you know, Stitcher. It's, it's awesome. By the way, I've, I've, mm -hmm. I love it so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's been a fun unfolding. Uh, so just just search that wherever. Um, and if anybody wants to see some of the video work that I put out, you can see some of it at uh, WTIP.org or through my uh, production company, which is Bear Witness Media. And you can go to the website or um, on my YouTube channel. And Bear, B-E-A-R. 
fitness. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was hoping for. Not yeah. P-A-R-E. That's, that's you'll find something else in a Google search. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the skinny dipping in the Boundary Waters. Yes, uh, which we didn't even talk about. But that could be, that is it's so fun. Me too. I love it. Same. Yep. Oh, the Highlight. Yep. Yeah, it is liberating. <laughs> oh my gosh. The swimming totally. and the sunbathing. Yes. 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 Oh yeah, to feel like a lizard on a rock and just be <laughs> you. Oh. Yes. Uh, Those moments. Well, Matthew Baxley, thank you so, so yeah, much. Thank you. For being here. We are gonna um be talking to you again soon, I'm sure. Um, this has just been delightful and just really helpful. I think just Super it's, helpful. it's so good to reground and even for people who maybe who've been there before, it's just good to hear these things again. Um and then for our novices, of which there are many of many of our listeners have never even been camping before. So this is, I know, very helpful information for them. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You both are delightful, inspiring humans, and I hope we paddle together sometime. Yeah. That is a date. <laughs> awesome. We will be there. Yes. Um, Jody, any last parting words? Jody usually has some very um, like some good uh well, I was gonna, so one thing that I just wanted to call to people's attention um, was just this past, I think like a week or so ago, our like local big city newspaper here in Minneapolis um, put out an article that said, um, can camping save America? And I think that that is a really interesting question. Um, and the reason why the author had kind of talked about that was just to talk about how important it is for us in all, in these times of these troubled times, um, when we feel angry or frustrated or sad or whatever, that getting back to nature can help us get back to like our, our roots and who we really are. Um, and it's just an important, I think, question to ponder a little bit. And for anybody who is interested in camping, um, you know, reach out to Matthew, reach out to us. Um, we would love to help you figure out how to get through these times. And we believe that nature really can soothe your soul. Amen. Preach, Jody. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> all right, oh. all. Yeah, I know. No, Amen. I, just, I have no more views. I, I, yeah, like I just got goosebumps, Jody. That was beautiful. Oh. That was beautiful. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. And don't forget to have fun out there. We Do This For Fun is supported by 515 Productions, a high-end video production business based in Minneapolis. The website is 515productions.com. And did you know that Jody is also a health and wellness coach? Check out her website at jodygruen.com. If you like this podcast, we love your support. Please rate and review us and hit subscribe. Learn more about us at wedothisforfun.com. As always, we welcome your questions and feedback. Email us at wedothisforfun at gmail.com. We'll be dedicating future episodes to answering your questions. So let her rip, whether it's about gear purchases or tampons and IBS in the wilderness. We do not judge. We promise we've been there, done that. Nothing is off the table. And thanks for listening.